0: Uh, do
2: paper
3: dollar. Psychic,
2: psychic ring huh, the address, I see you, let baby come down. down, Run down, run down, run down. run, 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 like What's up, everybody? Yo, that is Come Around by M.I.A. Dude, when I heard that song for the first time, uh, I was working out. It stopped me in my tracks, and then I listened to it 50 times over the next three days. It is one of my favorites. It's also from a 2007 sophomore record, Kala. It's number 393 out of 500 On the 500 with Josh Adam Myers I am the king of fleece It's beginning to look a lot like Thanksgiving Man, I'm excited Hope you guys are too If you don't live in America, man You are lucky because we are COVID infested It's everywhere My dog's got COVID My coffee's got COVID Donald Trump Jr.'s got COVID Everybody got COVID COVID is the new Chipotle. It's everywhere. Uh, I hope you guys have a great holiday. I am currently in Maryland with my family. Against the CDC regulations. But I've already had COVID. So, you know, I can fucking... I'll, I'll lick anybody in the police army and be fine. I hope you guys have a great Thanksgiving. I hope you guys have a great holiday weekend. Don't let the world get you down. It's a beautiful place. And the music that we're listening to, man, that should be helping you... Feel good about the world Also we want you guys to make the podcast Theme for the 500 Submit your version of what the 500 Should sound like to open The show and we'll let our Patreon members vote on it The grand prize winner is a one year subscription To the Patreon club where you're going to be getting The soon to be Shekels audio documentary I am making a documentary About Shekels with interviews With all the people that were involved Fans, friends, everything And you can get that all on our Patreon. I got a second podcast that we're going to be dropping very, very soon. We keep saying that, but we're going to do it. I promise you. Just join the Patreon. Support the show. And you can do all that and see all the details at our website, the500podcast.com. And if you want to submit your music for the uh, theme song, send it to 500 podcast at gmail.com. M.I.A. Let's talk about her. M.I.A. is one of those artists that even when her song... Paper Planes was everywhere. There was something that I was attracted to. I don't know what it was. I, I, I am attracted to her as a, as a as a human being. I mean, I think she's extremely attractive. But there was something cool about her. So, let's find out about this record. Released on August 8th, 2007 on XL and Interscorp Records. Produced by MIA, Blackstar, Diplo, Timbaland, Morganics, and Switch. This is the second album. British rapper, singer, producer, and activist, M.I.A. She was born, I'm going to fuck this name up, Mathangi Arul Pragazam. And because of that, she was nicknamed Maya in London, England on July 18, 1975 to Sri Lankan Tamil parents, but moved to Jaffna in northern Sri Lanka when she was six months old. During the Sri Lankan Civil War that began in 83 and would rage until 2009, Maya's father became a revolutionary political activist, which forced her family into hiding from the Sri Lankan army and separated them from her father for years. Despite living in poverty, she grew up learning art at Catholic schools while avoiding soldiers who would randomly shoot into the buildings. For their safety, her mother moved her and her younger brother to an abandoned house in South India, where her father would sporadically visit although she was told it was her uncle to protect them all. After the family moved back to Sri Lanka, the war got worse, and Maya's school was destroyed. Right before Maya's 11th birthday, her family moved back to London as refugees when she was 11 years old, which is where she learned English despite having terrible dyslexia. Her father stayed and became a peace mediator between the sides until 2010, which caused a strained relationship with Maya. Her mom became a seamstress for the royal family and raised Maya and her brother on a modest income despite them living in the rundown Phillips Bridge housing estate, which is basically a British version of the projects. On top of the slum-like conditions, Maya was one of only two Asian families in Phillips Bridge, so they received rampant displays of racism. However, the late 80s hip-hop music that she was exposed to there had an impact on her. After high school, Maya attended Central St. Martin's College of Art and Design and graduated with a degree in fine art, film, and video. While in college, Maya got turned onto old school punk and the newer Britpop and Electroclash. She became friends and eventual roommates with Justine Frischman, the frontwoman of the popular Britpop band Elastica. Justine asked Maya to design album and single covers for Elastica and then to join them on the road to video document their tour. The opening act was Electro Clash artist Peaches who showed Maya a Roland MC-505, a self-contained digital music workstation referred to as a groove box. With Peaches' encouragement, and Justine's MC-505, Maya first started experimenting with music. Which is really cool that she learned that from Peaches. Because Peaches has one of my favorite songs ever. Sucking, Sucking on my titties, my titties like you wanted me. Calling me all the time. All the time. You check shouldn't out have my like crispy behind behind his eyes all, all, all the time. Like time. Time. My Peaches the Peaches. peaches. What happens in the lack of Schmaka? Oh. Lack after a brief trip back to Sri Lanka and a failed attempt to film a documentary about her cousin who was missing in action, she returned to living in the Acton area of West London. She merged both and started using the acronym M.I.A. for Missing in Action. Justine helped M.I.A. write and record a six-song demo inspired by Electroclash, Dancehall, Jungle, and World Beat. In 2003, an independent label pressed up 500 vinyl copies of her single, Galang, and besides finding an underground following in clubs on college radio and at fashion shows, the recent explosion in file sharing and social media sites like MySpace built MIA an almost instant fan base. She was signed to XL Records and made her debut a ruler named after her father. Her visual style portrayed a heavy, militaristic, and activist vibe, and her stark and jarring music described the politics, war, poverty, crime, and turmoil that she had witnessed both in London and in Sri Lanka. And by 2005, she quickly became a rising critical success, going on to work with Missy Elliott, playing a bunch of festivals, and touring with LCD Sound System, who we just did, and Gwen Stefani, who we're not going to do. On the wings of all that acclaim... She was prepping to follow up with her second record, Kala, named for and influenced by her mother's struggles. She was unconcerned with hits and just wanted this record to be different, difficult, confrontational, and anything but easy. By this point, she was 30 years old, had an apartment in Brooklyn, New York, and after returning to London, after completing a tour of Japan, she had intended to go back to the U.S. to do most of the album with popular hip-hop producer Timbaland. However... After visa issues that profiled her as a possible terrorist due to her family's connection to Sri Lankan guerrillas, she was forced to record all over the world. Two of the producers from her first album came back including her pre-famous recent ex-boyfriend Diplo and her main collaborator Switch. MIA and Switch bypassed the conventional studio routine by recording anywhere they wanted using Apple's digital audio workstation, Logic Pro, on a MacBook Pro laptop with a microphone. Months after finally getting her Visa issues sorted out, she returned, but only ended up with one Timbaland track. The music was more aggressive and sample-heavy than her debut, in addition to the fusion of electro-clash, hip-hop, punk, dub, dance, and world beat music like all different sorts of brazilian caribbean african and australian she added extensive influences from south asia including samples from bollywood and tamil movies the lyrical subject matter again was very politically charged and reflected mia's thoughts and concerns relating to the third world as well as the street culture of brooklyn and baltimore balmer the album was as much a world party as a protest and a call to arms Nonetheless, it went to number 18 on the Billboard Top 200 chart and a number one on the Top Electronic Albums chart while also topping it for the year. Plus, Paper Planes was all over Top 40 and a sleeper hit the following year. M.I.A. was the first Asian artist to be nominated for both a Grammy and an Oscar in the same year for Paper Planes and her song Osaya from Slumdog Millionaire. She performed at the Grammys, nine months pregnant. She's badass, man. She is badass, a very outspoken political activist, a humanitarian, and a supporter of many charities. And recently, she received the member of the Order of the British Empire for her service in music from the royal family. And my guest today has not received any of those orders. But she's a good friend of mine and very, very funny comedian, Miss Allie Makovsky. Allie is an incredible comic, and she is the host of Resting Bitch, with Allie Makovsky, and when I heard this record, I immediately knew she would be my guest. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500 and listen free on all platforms, and if you want to do something for me, go on Apple, go on Stitcher, leave a five-star rating, and leave a review. Do it for my birthday. That's all I want. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Go to my website, joshadamyers.com for all my shows. I'll be in Austin, uh, December 11th and 12th, and I'll be headlining in San Antonio on December 10th. And I'm doing shows all throughout Los Angeles. If you're in Texas, I want to see you there. Email the podcast, 500podcast at gmail.com. Follow the Facebook group, run by Crazy Evan. And for all things 500, go to our website, 500 podcastcom Well, there's nothing left to say, but here we go now with 393. Calla by MIA. Holla. Alright, so truth be told, so like uh, I started listening to this record and there's a song on it later that we're gonna talk about that reminded me of you. So much that it's not even fun. Like I I immediately was like, "Oh my god, this is." I could just hear Ali Makovsky singing this, and so then uh, I asked you, and you were like, "Dude, I was just listening to MIA." So, so do me a favor, take me through your history with MIA.
1: Okay. I also want to know what song we're gonna get to. Okay, and I'm
2: gonna play it and everything because it's. I literally heard it, and I could just see you. I don't want to ruin it. Yet, okay, it's, okay, I'll just, wait. Yeah, it's- okay.
1: So, Mia, wow, I my first experience with Mia. I don't know if I should be ashamed of this or what, but it was from the Hangover, because in the Hangover they played Paper Planes in the movie, and yeah. I feel like that's that's when I heard about her. I heard about the song. That song was like off the charts after that movie. And uh, it was everywhere after that, you know? And- it was like Chipotle. Yes. It was
2: everywhere. It's, it was
1: Chipotle, Sri Lankan Chipotle. <laughs> um, So, yeah, I listened to that a bunch. And then I just, I don't know, there's something about M.I.A. where she's one of those artists who's very successful but also has, like, still some obscurity to her where, like, I don't think her life is completely controlled by fame, like she yeah. can kind of slip in and out and not make too much of a scene. If
2: M.I.A. was at Gelson's right now, people would just no walk big right by her and yeah. be like, excuse me for a second, I gotta grab this these wheat noodles.
1: So I think she's kind of made it in that way, but I think in that way it's interesting because she's not necessarily like a radio top hit. You know, like I feel like it's just a few songs that have really blown up, and uh Wait, and-
2: what are the other songs though? Because Paper Planes, one hundred percent.
1: Actually, it might only be Paper Planes. It's like a radio hit.
2: Paper Planes it was massive when I fir- when that first when that first dropped. It, it just was like like I remember from the Hangover too, but like it was just everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So, everywhere. All right. So you so you get into this... because this is also two thousand and seven.
1: Yeah. So so. When The Hangover came out, it was 2007, which is on that, that album came out with the song on it. I was in seventh grade. Oh, my God. So, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like played at every school dance. Uh. Um, that was like the song, you know, and everyone does the hand movements. Like, you know, I fly like Peppa Gahal. And then the <laughs> gunshot. <cha-ching>, shot. Cha-ching.
2: <laughs> Dude, I was at Big Wangs, and I'll never forget this moment. There was this hot server, and they were playing it like over the loudspeaker as people were like drinking and watching sports. And she did exactly what you said, and I've never forgotten that because she was so hot. She did the cash register, cash register,
1: pop, and then the she, bang bang. She
2: blew on her finger, put it back into the satchel. I was like, oh my god, I'm in before love with this girl.
1: before we had like the Soldier Boy dance, we had the paper planes dance. Wow.
2: I I know the Soldier Boy dance, but I don't know the Soldier Boy dance. I've seen it.
1: I'm also very into the Soldier Boy (laughs) dance. But (laughs) yeah, so I mean, I was in seventh grade. It was a very formative time in my life. Uh, Unfortunately, I think that that's the bummer with me and. MIA's uh relationship is that I was too young to like be interested in good music
2: yeah what do you listen to do in seventh grade
1: anything that's on the radio just radio hits like I'm very much like I know a lot now about various artists like if I'm out and there's like a cool dude and we're on a date and he's like have you heard of like this band that he thinks is obscure like neutral milk hotel
2: Ooh. I was on a date yesterday
1: so I was fresh (laughs) in my brain um it's like, yeah, I know, I know a lot of different artists, but I only know whatever their most popular song is. Yeah. So unfortunately, I wasn't like old enough to do, or I guess I was old enough to do my own research on M.I.A., but it was just never something that I was like, I need to dive deeper into this. Until recently, I went to go, my friend rented out a private AMC theater, Yeah, and we all went to go see Shrek. Great movie, great, great movie. film, yeah. especially during COVID. her face, bram, 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 bram. and now I'm a believer. don't
2: get you did. You
1: should do the Shrek soundtrack on here. Is that one of the top? I don't think it's
2: on the list. Yeah, that's
1: unfortunate. It's a great album but my friend was driving us and he was like playing MIA like a lot of different MIA songs and i just re- remembered how good she is and how it's such a bummer that i didn't spend more time listening to more of her songs besides paper planes
2: so but then i asked you and that was
1: I, the craziest thing the timing so
2: so you so you got to like deep dive into this now yes sorry so how did how did you feel about listening to it this go round compared to being 7th grade alley
1: oh my god it's so good i also during the pandemic went into a big Diplo phase and I was watching he has this interview at Harvard with like the students at Harvard and he's talking about like his upbringing and uh, how he started by like finding all of these different albums uh, in London and he would bring them back and he worked with MIA when she was like pretty new And uh, they dated. They dated. They dated
2: when she. But
1: he slandered her name. Did he? In the New York Times article that Lynn Hirschberg wrote. It was very, like, anti MIA. Look at you doing a little bit of research. I did a little bit of research. research. I love that one. I did a little bit of research. (laughs) I had so many tabs open on my computer of, like, MIA interviews. And I was like, you know, one's enough. (laughs)
2: There's only so much you can read. Yeah. I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name
1: is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists.
2: Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to The Show on the Road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Um, so 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 you listen to it this go around. See, what's funny about me with MIA, and you mentioned Diplo, is so I, I lived in Baltimore until about 2007, and I saw Diplo blow up because Diplo spent a lot of time in Baltimore with the Baltimore club scene. I was friends with a guy, I don't know if you know the uh, my friend Naim aka Spankrock. Okay. Have you heard of Spankrock? No, but I like that name. Spankrock made an album in about 2007 and it's basically this but not with the not as like deep, not as revolutionary, not as like like her like MIA's lyrics are like are like for real, like punk rock, like anti-system.
1: It's so crazy because they're so uh like nuanced in a way. They're not nuanced, but when you're listening to it with the type of like uh effects that she use uses and like samples and stuff, you're like, Oh, this song's just about like boys and getting money and like fuck all that shit. And then you look deeper and you're like, Oh, it's about like war in general aside
2: exactly so so this style of music uh, was in my life for a big section because I was going to the clubs I saw Naeem just completely blow up like um, and then I remember Galang Galang I remember when that came out, that was like the hit off of, that was the song that kind of like broke her. She made that, uh, that was the first song. They printed a bunch of copies of that and they kind of got that out. And then she made the first record. And then that is what kind of got her on like critics lists. And so this of course is her second record. And much like you, it was straight, just paper planes. Yeah. I didn't know anything else. Uh, But then I'm DJing at the strip club living out here. And uh, some girl requested $20.
1: <gasps> I was just about to say, that's the song that got me back in. Because my friend was like, this song is so good. I heard it for the first time and I was like, what? <laughs> How is she using that song and this song and making it so different and good?
2: Yeah, so I think, so for me, this is really, much like you, just like the first like deep, deep dive into this record. I, I, I knew I was going to like it. Like, I knew immediately, I was like, there's something about M.I.A. that I find extremely sexy. And there was something really cool about her. And I think this- And that's why you thought of me. No, oh, (laughs) I've said this to you. I said this to you at the Comedy Store. I said, you're one of the coolest people I know. Like, that's, I don't think you realize- I don't think you know
1: that many cool people then. I think I'm cool, but not like you're not.
2: Listen, you're not. You're not Miles Davis, but you're. But there's something I haven't done
1: enough heroin for that.
2: It is true, but you know you can start now. But COVID's young. You COVID know? is young. We got some time. But there is, but there is like you know. There's something that I looked at her, even though I didn't know her music. I just felt like I knew where she was coming from. I think I knew that she was doing something that was being influenced by many different styles of music and then also like basically taking her whole culture that she grew up with and not like and just using that as this like jumping off point for saying like here i am this is where i'm from this is what i experienced and you're not just getting a dance song you're getting like a real autobiographical like take on On what she experienced. So yeah, because it's like, I mean, immediately when you started, you start listening to this music, you're like, dude, this this chick had like a real like revolutionary background. Like, you know, her family uh, during the Sri Lanka Civil War that began in 1983 uh, and would rage until 2009. Her father became a revolutionary political activist, which forced her family into hiding from the Sri Lankan army and separated them from her father for years. So once I read that and then listened to the record, I was like, oh, and then you start listening to the lyrics and you're like, you know, this all makes sense. So let's, let's dive into the record, okay? Okay. Um, so let's play the opening. Peter, play uh, the opening to Bamboo Banga. Open the album that kind of sets the mood for the entire record, and you listen to this, and you're like, "Oh, well, this is just some dance club shit." No, this is a song celebrating a kid running alongside a third world tourist's Hummer and banging on its door, which I had no idea. I was just like, "Oh, this is this is just a banger, like like the club banger." And she's like, "Oh, no, 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 this is she's trying to say something here, and this is what's cool." about M.I.A. So the song opens with lines from Jonathan Rickman and the Modern Lovers' 1972 Roadrunner. So here, I want to play that. So that's the same lyrics. And not even remotely the same sound. But that's what I love about M.I.A. Because everything about this chick is completely punk rock. Yeah. Right, so do you have any thoughts on this song?
1: Yeah, well, it's... it's I, I knew... I didn't want to do too much research until like I was gonna look up like the genius song lyrics and see what each line meant and I was like I'm just gonna wait and like learn as I'm going because I know that every song is like so layered with different references and stuff but yeah I love this song the way that it starts out because you like just want to dance to it yeah and it just like hooks you in and also that first line is just so catchy but
2: when you when you read the lyrics of it and You know, like I did. It's like you're going through. And like I said, I thought this was like some club hit. But then, you know, Somalia, Angola, Ghana, 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 India, Sri Lanka, Burma, Bamboo Banga. So that's these are all the places where where kids would be like, you know, please, please like help me. And it's like it's just it's just it's almost like this hidden message that I had no idea about. All right, then it goes in to bird flu, and this flexes MIA's credibility as a proud and resilient underground outsider versus the world of privilege she was up against. And I think that's all summed up perfectly in this moment right here. Peter, play 103. Protocol to be a rock-aware model. Uh, That's also the most 2007 line on the record. The cool shit about this is to get the massive beat for this, they recorded 30 drummers in a room playing a South Indian percussion instrument called the Arumi, which is used in temple rituals. Because the thunderous sound was so different... From the tighter and snappier drum tracks on records at the time, people told her that the song was going to clear the dance floor. I mean, I don't know. Like, I, dude, I haven't been to a club in so fucking long that I have no idea what the kids are dancing to. I can't believe I just said the kids. The
1: kids, the Jesus youth.
2: Christ. All right, thoughts on this song?
1: I like the beginning again. Uh, it's like another one of those songs that just like grabs you from the start. I like that line about the Rock Aware model, like the protocols to be a Rock Aware model because. M I is one of the artists who, like, I mean, clearly from all the different places that she picks up, like, lyrics or samples or whatever, she's like so well-rounded and never was the type of artist that's like, I'm going to use my body or my collaborations on music to get me where I want to be and to like be just like the hot, you know, artist. It sure. was very much about like the message and the music.
2: So let me ask you a question then, because like I, you obviously you you know that I think you're cool, uh huh, right, uh huh. And I think that's
1: been established,
2: been established. But also, like, I think a lot of other comedians like think that you're cool, like there's something cool about you. And I think it could be like the fact that you, you know, you're not on heroin and you seem to be on heroin at all (laughs) times. You're super chill. Do you feel even the way you dress? Do you feel like, there's this, like... I don't know. Because there's this mythos now about Ali Mikofsky that you have to try to maintain that by, by doing other cool things. Do you have any consciousness about the decisions that you make that... to be? Because, I mean, obviously, you want to be perceived as cool. For we sure. We all do. Yeah. Everyone does. For
1: sure. I mean, I think, like, I kind of had an identity crisis getting into stand-up because I had just finished high school and dropped out of college, and I didn't really know... Like who I was, you know? Yeah. And when I started stand-up, I would just kind of dress shitty. Like, I would put my hair in a ponytail. I would wear American Apparel zip-up hoodies and, like, light wash denim and no makeup. Because I was like, that's what you wear. That's a comedian's uniform, you know? I can't be too sexy or too ugly. The Sarah Silverman. Yeah, and then I realized, like, later on, I'm like, oh, I can be, like, cute and be taken seriously. But then I felt like I wasn't being taken seriously and I was just kind of being, like, gawked at because I was, like, a young, funny girl I don't know if that's true but that was at least my perception at the time so then I just shaved off all my hair I
2: remember
1: that and I think that's when I don't know I don't know if shaving your hair makes people take you seriously because I, I don't know but I think it just kind of like something changes where you're like I felt like I could be more myself without this like attachment to femininity or whatever like this idea of who I am with hair I, It sounds stupid but like You know, there is, like, this attachment, and once I shaved my head, I realized, like, oh, I can just, like, do anything I want and be anything I want, and what I wear and what I do doesn't make me, like, what's on the outside, how I present myself isn't who I am on the inside, and so after that, I just was like, I'm going to do whatever I want to do, and, um, yeah, I do, I I liked getting back into MIA's stuff and watching her interviews because I'm like, oh, like, I want to be more like her. Just kind of this, like, fierce, brave, like, saying what she wants and yeah. not doing what is necessarily status quo. Go on the
2: Super Bowl, give the whole give country the middle, the middle finger. finger to like 200 million people. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. But
1: she was saying that there was so much controversy, at least online, where people were like, I can't believe she just did that. And she talked to the people at the uh, NFL saying, Can you show me the complaints, the emails you received? There was only 200. Yeah. So it's like there's like this whole outrage culture when really only 200 people sent in emails out of the millions that were watching yeah. it.
2: Then she said something also very smart, which was like, oh, so I can be sexualized. But yet if I do something, if I just, you know, show a finger, that's you're against that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, let's let's not forget that Janet Jackson pulled her titty out in front of everybody, which
1: I think it's a conspiracy.
2: Against titties or against fingers?
1: I don't know. Something. Okay.
2: We'll figure it out. I'm just
1: getting into conspiracies during COVID.
2: Oh, please don't.
1: No, I'm not. Well, I'm joking. Oh, my
2: God, I dude. believe
1: anything. Anyone tells me anything, I believe it.
2: Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, boys. So one of the first songs written for the album, uh, most of this first single were re- was recorded in India with MIA's vocals recorded in Trinidad. It both mocks and praises various characteristics of men with references to Jamaican dances over a world beat infusion of West Indian, I'm gonna fuck this up, Soka and Sri Lankan Tamil Ghana. Ghana, that's fun to say. All right. Peter play 119 How
0: many no many boys are crazy how many boys oh How many no many boys are ready how many star oh How many no many boys are crazy how many boys oh How many no boys are ready how many star oh
2: Hey now let me go hey now Can we go So what's cool About this song is that you, when you hear this on the first listen, you're like, "Oh, this is like Mia, like being boy crazy." But no, uh, what's really cool about this song is that it's really a song about feminism. In comparison, Um, thoughts on this and why you connected with it?
1: Yeah, I uh, so I realized that I did I did dance all four years in high school. And when I was listening to this album, I realized that we did one of our dances was to the song Boys. Um, But I also like this song because I think this one's a little bit more clear. Like when you're listening to it, like how many boys are crazy, how many start a war. I don't know. To me, this is more of like, a don't know. There's so many songs that are like, I miss the boys. I wish I had a boy. I'm so lonely. And she's like, boys are crazy.
2: They start wars. They have
1: too much power. Yeah. And I'm not about that. Okay, well let's let's talk about comedy. Okay.
2: Because this is I mean, the comedy scene for forever has been known as like a men's club. But in the last decade there seems to have been this like steady rise and almost misogynistic uh breed of comedy fans. And I don't think it's entirely unfair to say that they worship people like, you know, Dalia and Joe Rogan and stuff like that and you open for him and you're friends with him so how do you deal with the toxic masculinity that surrounds the comedy scene
1: yeah it is hard I think I think there's a lot of uh it's hard because I think there's a lot of internalized misogyny like I mean I know for me you know being raised by mostly my dad uh and my dad's somewhat of a womanizer, like growing up in... a really? Indian- Oh, yeah. Is Oh, Larry? Yeah, <laughs> hell yeah. Larry Sup, loves Larry. ladies. What
2: you doing, lady? Want to hang out?
1: He would. He <laughs> loves smoking cigars. You guys would have a great time. Okay. But, um, you know, growing up with a father, I kind of always viewed... I don't know. We'd be having lunch and he'd like see a girl walk by and like turn his head so aggressively. So that was just like always in my head of like be presentable for men, you know, yeah, like this is what you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be good looking and like whatever. And uh And now with comedy, I realize that there still is, like, you know, I still, I'm sure, have internalized, like, misogyny that I don't even realize. Um, And I think a lot of guys don't think that they're being misogynistic in certain ways. Because to them, they're like, yeah, I see women as people. And it's like, whoa, how profound. But it's deeper than that, you know? And so it's just hard because I get so many messages from people who I don't know if they support me, but they like follow me, but then they'll make you know sexual comments or it's like yeah. very much about my appearance and not about my stand up, which is fine you know like whatever gets people there like if it's because they're like oh this girl's hot or like she's interesting or whatever yeah and then maybe they end up going to a show because of that and then maybe they are into it but I don't know it's hard having people try and fight fight the idea that women can be funny Like there's guys who make YouTube videos being like, I'm going to watch female comedians until I laugh. And it's just a dude reacting to comedy with a stone cold look in his face where it's like, why do you even need to do that? Yeah. It's like they want to not think that women are funny. It's like they're trying so hard to keep up this like masculine shell. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's frustrating, but I'm not going to like, I don't, my job isn't to try and change people's minds. I don't go on stage being like, I want to do a show for all the dudes who don't think women are funny and like prove them wrong. I just want them to happen to be there and maybe think differently, but I don't, it's not my responsibility.
2: It's not your responsibility. To educate No, God, or- no, no. And that's unfair that, that you have to, because, you know, it's, it's complete bullshit. Yeah. Some of my favorite comics are females. Ali Wong is one of the funniest women I've ever met in my so life. Funny. So, so take that misogynistic men of the world, or named Jimmy, which is our next <gasps> song. I
1: love Jimmy. So this
2: might be my favorite moment on the entire so record. So good. Uh, Twenty three seconds, Peter. <laughs> I love that so much. So this is the second single is a rework cover of Jimmy, 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 Aja from the 1982 Bollywood film Disco Dancer that MIA used to dance to as a child. Uh, That makes so much sense because that's all I wanted to do is dance. She rewrote it after British journalist Ben Anderson asked her on a date to tour the genocide-affected region's in Rwanda when she was in Liberia. And also, that date must have been successful because they hooked up. Um, best line on here, uh, you hit me on AIM and flip me some game. I just love that they I gave I miss it. AIM. I know, man. There's was, so
1: many cultural references in this album.
2: So many. Did, did anybody ever hit you on AIM and flip you some game?
1: Uh, I don't think there was too much game. I think there was, you know, middle school game. It was like, so you want to like maybe eat lunch with me tomorrow at school? Yeah. And then I was like, I don't know. I'm too scared. Then <laughs> just put a, on my away message that's like, I'm in a better place.
2: Sorry. Thoughts on this song on Jimmy?
1: Um, Jimmy is great. It's so funky and fun. I also just like the name Jimmy Aja.
2: I know. It's so catchy.
1: Yeah. And also, did she write the song after visiting the genocided?
2: I don't know. Hold on. Because
1: that's a difficult inspiration i just did a comedy show behind a holocaust memorial museum at the
2: pan pacific
1: at the pan pacific i'm like am i supposed to be funny behind a holocaust museum
2: Ooh, nice nice use of your elements around you i didn't even think about doing that that's a that's that's sucks that's like one of the hot shows right now it's not let me
1: tell you it is not i
2: know but it's it's a
1: spot it's a spot it is
2: a spot um let's talk about dates what's the strangest date you ever had you just went on was the one yesterday strange?
1: Um, no, I don't know. I it's I don't it's hard because I feel like I don't really go on like actual dates. I just like meet up with people and like feel it out. So the one yesterday I re-downloaded Tinder recently and I met up with this guy. We had mutual friends, which was nice. But then I don't know, it's always just kind of like awkward on the first day and you don't know what to ask, and I've kind of just gone into this thing where I don't try and hold back and be like, "Mm, tell me about your mom and your sisters. I literally asked him 10 minutes into the day. I I said, do you think you're a sex addict? Because he was talking about Tinder and the way that he talks to girls. And so I was just like, I I, want to know this now. Yeah. Until it's too late. You know, so I just I asked him that. I was just I, I don't have a filter anymore. Good. And I know I'm only 25, but I'm like, I'd rather just put it all out there. And like, be, ask the questions that I think are important to a potential relationship than like be blindsided down the road. So,
2: what's the strangest date you've ever been on then?
1: Hmm. One time I went on a date with this guy. It wasn't that the date was strange, we went to a bar. And, uh, the date was fine and we made out after and it was a sloppy makeout and he was like, want to come back to my place? And I was like, no, like I'm not interested, like whatever. And then a week later I go home and, uh, and the guy is in my house. It turns out that him and my roommate are like best friends Oh, okay. <laughs> and we had no idea. Oh
2: my God. All right, that is a little strange. So then he would
1: be over at my house every week and I just have to be like, Hey man. What's up?
2: Good to see you again. do you you figure out that drool problem? Because your mouth is juicy, baby.
1: So gross.
2: Hustle, featuring Nigerian, British, high-energy, electronic, grime-style rapper, Africa Boy. The sonic concept for this came to MIA when she imagined refugees being smuggled on a boat. Oh. She attempted to capture what she thought their banging on the side of the boat would sound like. I do love this part. Uh, two minutes later. Police are trying to avoid them. They
0: cast me hostile in the city border. Hustle, hustle, hustle. Cry, cry, cry. Why does everyone
3: know? Hustle, hustle.
2: Hustle, 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 grind, grind, grind. Why does everybody have hustle on their mind? Uh, Best chorus on the record? I think so. Maybe. Could be. But it also sounds like every open mic comic in LA. It's like you gotta hustle, hustle, hustle. You gotta grind, grind, grind. So this celebrates how third world inhabitants have adopted to do anything to survive and better themselves.
1: Yeah, definitely is like, uh, I feel like... Listening to that now, it could definitely be, like, you could interpret it as, like, the 9 to 5, like, corporate America, capitalism, fuck all that.
2: Yeah. This was also the first song that had Diplo adding production to it. Uh, Side note. Because we did go out to try to book him on this because he lives in my neighborhood. He lives on the street. Shut up. I saw him riding his bike. Uh, I see him all the time I'm riding his bike. i be
1: driving up and down your street.
2: I mean, waiting are, to it, is, are you one of the few that are like super, super attractive? There's like women are obsessed with Diplo and Timothy Chalamet.
1: Yeah, no, I don't want to hook up with Diplo, but I'm very fascinated by him. I find him very interesting. Really? Just yeah. Just
2: a, a white guy from Philadelphia that dresses like fucking Tom Selleck in the 80s? That's like- what's very
1: interesting. Like, well, just because of the way that he started his career and how, like, I don't know, I find his origin story very fascinating. And now him trying to keep up with the youth yeah. and uh, in online culture. Yeah. is really interesting me. I
2: mean, he's a good looking guy. Good
1: looking, yeah. Yeah, I Wes. mean,
2: yeah, is that his real name? Yeah. Wes, I never met him, but but he used to come to Baltimore all the time. So, uh, being this is hustle, 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 grind, 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 let's talk about uh, bettering ourselves to be better people. What's the most significant thing you've done to better yourself?
1: Getting sober definitely helped me a lot, uh, especially being like a young comedian. I think I got sober after doing stand-up for like a year. Really? And I was only 20 at that point. So I don't know. I think that that helped a lot. I, I, I really feel like if I hadn't stopped when I did, even though it wasn't necessarily maybe that bad, how other people would perceive like a drinking problem. Mine seems pretty minimal, but I think like the way that my Uh, reactions to things were were very unhealthy and like my attitude and outlook on any situation I was in was always kind of like obscured and had this weird like fog over it. Yeah. So I feel like that helped a lot to have me be more uh, unbiased with like my you know just like my like all the bad characteristics like jealousy or anger oh, or yeah. fear yeah. like it definitely helped me kind of see it in a way where it wasn't like uh, so negative and I'm like okay so I think that helped a lot and then I don't know I think just like trying new things and not not making comedy my entire being because like like I said I started right after high school and when I dropped out of school and I kind of was like ingrained in comedy and I still hadn't figured out really who I was without it and so in a way I feel like the pandemic helped me because I wasn't doing comedy for like you know four months five months whatever and so I was like okay who's Allie when this isn't her
2: yeah that's that's profound to have that during such a a time of crisis yeah. I mean because there's so many people that could have well I, I know a lot of people that, that chose the opposite of that which is just you know I don't know I can, I, I, if I can't do stand up what am I going to do and instead of having this opportunity to figure out who you are For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com and I'll see you there.
1: Porn, Satan, drugs, therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend.
2: What did you find out the most about yourself during COVID? I
1: I really like having routine, but I also like being able to get out of my element and like go on trips and just like have new experiences. Like yeah. I drove to Vegas on a whim. And it was so much fun just kind of, like, seeing the city and not having anything to do back here and being able to be free and just, like, explore things and stop along the way, like, not being like, I need to get to Vegas by 4. It's like, no, I can stop in the Mojave Yeah. and, like, just see these, like, weird suburban towns that are, like, kind of tweakered out. And Did you I have a
2: photographer know. with you so you could take one of your hip I hip wish. photos? Oh, get you by like this would have been so good. Ugh. If I had just off the six here,
1: yeah. <laughs> and then it's nice just having like the family time and being able to like reconnect with them on a more personal level than just stopping by every once in a while. Yeah,
2: no, I get it, I get it. Um, you can't, you can't just work all the time. No,
1: and you I can't. think that that's what I'm realizing now that some shows are opening up. It's like I don't need to do the show behind the Holocaust Memorial Museum, you know? Like, I don't need to do any show that's just available to me, like... I'm the
2: opposite. I'm doing every show. I I just, because this made me fall more in love with stand-up oh yeah you know I mean because I think that's that's like we were talking about like the people that get depressed and how their identity is that is that this having it taken away made me go oh man like I really do love it and all the shit that I used to carry around mm-hmm. like that you were saying when I drank and because when I started doing stand-up I was an addict so I, I kept that baggage it wasn't only until recently that I started dropping it but like when I started stand-up again, it's like I'm, I'm going up just to have fun. It's not mm-hmm. about anything else other than the moment I'm doing it and enjoying it. Yeah. So, uh, And I love a good Vegas trip. For sure. Love a good Vegas trip. I
1: think I'm going to go to Big Bear this weekend. Do it. I'm going to find a hot spring. Oh. Yeah. I've never done a hot spring, so.
2: They're great. Yeah. The, this next song uh, has slowly become my favorite song on the record. Mango, pickle, no. down, no. river. So this, there's, there's some cool shit about this. So this is a remix with added verses by MIA of the 2002 single by the pre-teenage and teenage aboriginal Australian rap group, the Wilcannia Mob or Barkanji Boys, who sing and rap over a beat and a traditional Australian didgeridoo. As they were kids when they first made this, it describes what kids would do for fun before M.I.A. adds her adult perspective. Um, so I want to play two parts.
1: Okay, great. I've, I like this song, but it's never the first song that I'm picking to play off the album.
2: I, this is all new because we're going to get to a song later that reminded me of you that is the one that I that I first like fell in love with. Okay. That, that's not Paper Planes. All right, so the first part... Um, I want to play. Do you remember a few songs ago when I said that that was my favorite moment on the record? Mm-hmm. I lied. Peter, play 48 seconds.
0: My name is Kay from I walk, and still still waiting.
2: oh my god that is the greatest thing i've ever heard it's in my so life cute. i and there's a there's an app feature on instagram stories now where you can kind of have that voice and and it doesn't fuck with your look so yeah. once this episode drops i am going to be posting me rhyming that
1: my name is d from the kindest trip
2: fuck i love that it's
1: All right. so cute and i like knowing the backstory because i was like who did she hire to do this like yeah, child rap.
2: But that's the thing. I, I I'm I'm hoping that that's. I don't think that's like a voice recorder thing on it. I'm pretty sure that's his voice, yeah. uh, because it kind of reminded me of like when Mad Lib did Quasimodo. Do you know Quasimodo? Hmm. Ooh, and I thought you were cool, hmm. man. So like he's like a rapper. Uh-huh. Mad Lib did this album Quasimodo where he used like that sounding voice to do all these different raps. I'm pretty, it might be even, but
1: the rap just also reminds me of like when you're a kid and you're like rhyming cat with hat, you're like, my name is Ali and I like to play. I don't hear what you say. Yeah, Oh, it's,
2: oh, it's incredible. It's all right, hold so on.
1: pure and wholesome.
2: Quasimodo rapper. I just want to make sure I get this right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was right. Is a side project from producer Madlib from Oxnard. Oh my hey. God. They have a really dope show up there at a, at a dog park I've been hitting. Um. Yeah dude Mad Lib So we basically he, it's, it's Lord Quaz Is known for his High pitched voice Which often interacts With Mad Lib's Regular voice God I love it Peter Play a little bit Of Quasimodo
3: Today is the shadow Of tomorrow Today is the present Future of yesterday
2: Yesterday
3: is the shadow Of today The darkness of
2: the uh, All right yesterday. The next one the the I want to play Is, is uh, At 108 This is M.I.A.'s Best line off the record My
0: name is Maya and people always say, I act kind of strange like a doobo way. I like fish and mango pickle. When I climb trees, them feet, them pickle. I'm broke this month, didn't pay rent. I had to jump town and the money's all spent. All spent.
1: Dude. Them feet, them tickle. I I, well,
2: down, first she says Dija way, which I don't know what that means. I don't
1: know what that means. I'm, I'm, right? no, but
2: we'll find out. I like fish and mango pickle. When I climb trees. My the,
1: feet, No, nope, not
2: my. Them feet them tickle
1: them feed them tickle
2: <laughs> you win m.i.a you win i'm a fan for life now uh thoughts on this
1: it's a cute song cute yeah it is cute <laughs> it's cute there's kids on it
2: but that fucking is a. yeah That's...
1: it's like the song is like the 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 musical uh experience of whippets yeah, you're not wrong.
2: You are not wrong. So I wanted to ask you because we're talking about these him being with these teenage people. Uh, how did Little Alley come about?
1: Oh my god, <laughs> my radio days. Yeah,
2: I have no idea about this.
1: Oh, um, yeah, when I was a little, a little kid, I I grew up in Los Angeles County in Long Beach.
0: What what L B C?
1: And you know Kiss FM was a very popular radio station I have two older sisters So I never grew up listening to like kids music It was always like top 40 yeah. radio hits And we are getting ready for school Listening to Kiss FM Ryan Seacrest is you know the host of it And I try calling in My sister doesn't let me She tries calling in And so when she left for school, I hit redial on the phone and I get through and I'm like seven years old. And, you know, my parents are divorced. So I'm just like, you know, emotionally uh, broken, broken. (laughs) So I know how to have conversations (laughs) with adults because I'm like constantly apologizing (laughs) for my parents behavior at a (laughs) young age. So I get on the phone with Ryan and I'm just like having a full conversation with him. But my voice sounds like one of those kids in the song where I'm like, hey, Ryan, like uh, my name is Allie. And I ask him for Britney Spears tickets, and I sing a Britney Spears song for him. I sing Toxic.
2: I, well, I don't know why that popped in my head, but that was the one that I was thinking. Yeah, was so I'm seven that. years
1: old singing The Taste of Your Lips. I'm on a ride. <laughs> I finish the song, and he goes, we don't have Britney Spears tickets, but we have American Idol tickets. And I'm so upset. Like, yeah. the audacity of him to offer... American Idol tickets after I've asked for Britney Spears is like this you is know, like 2004,
2: crazy. which means it's probably like it's 2003. You know, oh, so it's Ruben Studdard and and Clay this Aiken. is American
1: Idol Prime.
2: Yeah, I mean it's a Prime, but it's also but it's
1: no Britney Spears.
2: I hope, who was it? To, who's there?
1: I don't remember, but I but, not
2: Taylor Hot. Remember the guy who was all like blues singer? He's like uh,
1: <laughs> I don't remember who it was, but I just remember I was so disappointed, and I said, "Yeah, I guess I'll only go if they're VIP." And so we just have this back and forth. I end up going to American Idol. I call back after another morning, and I said, like, yeah, it was fine. The seats were really far back, though. <laughs> and we're just going back and forth. And so then he's like, we have this idea come into our studio. And my dad drove me up, and we made, like, three prank phone calls to see if it would work. And it ended up being, like, a super big hit. Like, people loved it. And so I did it for four years. I would make wow. a week's worth of prank phone calls, leave school early, and pre-record them. And uh yeah.
2: That is incredible. I'm actually also shocked that your dad had the time to drive you there in between getting pussy.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. But I but I think that to him this was more of a way for him to get even more pussy. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. He was like, Do you
1: listen to Kiss FM by chance? Yeah, my daughter's on the radio. You want a bone?
2: <laughs> I love that. Oh, that's so great. All right. Uh the next song I mentioned earlier, I played this at the strip club, twenty dollars. So this was written about the ease of buying an AK-47 assault rifle in war-torn Liberia. Liberia? Liberia, thank you. Uh, labia <laughs> war-torn labia
1: <laughs> i've <laughs> the, been
2: there uh, the music sounds like uh to me i wrote uh new orders 1983 song blue monday but chopped up oh. do you know that song
1: but then it also has the With your feet on the hill, yes on yes the so
2: that i was just about to say that for the chorus for all the fleece army out there listening if you didn't catch this the chorus Uh, M.I.A. sings a less melodic version of the Pixies 1988 song Where Is My Mind Uh, let's hear it Uh, I had no idea. I, I until I until I went through uh, the notes that I had written uh-huh. for me. I, I was like in shock, and I, it's just once again. It's like this is what makes her cool. Yeah. It's just that this is a this is a, a club banger, a strip club song. It's just like sex music, and yet it's about, about how kids can buy guns and how it's easier to buy guns than get food. Uh, and then she's got these lyrics that I pulled out too that might be the best lyrics on the record, even the opening. Uh, war, 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 talking about you such a bore. I'd rather talk about moi. Like, do you know the cost of AKs up in Africa? I just... I just love that man. Um,
1: She's so smart,
2: so smart. Yeah, way smarter than than I even. And I like I said at the beginning, it's like I knew she was cool. I knew there was something about her that I found very very interesting. But it's like to find out that there's this layer of this is what I experienced, and like I, I don't I don't know if there's a lot of other, you know, fucking I don't think Larue is fucking, you know, writing these deep existential songs about war-torn countries. But I
1: think that's what makes uh, Am I such a unique artist is her upbringing and how that influences her music and why it's so hard to put her into a jo- genre. Yeah. Because it's like, yeah, you have, like, this fun dance-type music, but then you also have, like uh, like, pop elements to it and then these samples that kind of make it, like, soft and there's just so many different influences that make it hard to just pinpoint
2: completely completely all right world town uh, this was based on the instrumentation of the Sri Lankan temple music she would wake up to as a child it was influenced by the child soldiers in various third world countries including Liberia and Sri Lanka Peter
0: 101 quietly
2: So this has a very special place in my heart because I call my niece uh, Sophia. I call her Nini. So I'm going home in like three days. And I'm just be like Sophia, and a Nini Nini Stee, yeah, a Nini Nini. nini. Uh, thoughts on this?
1: I mean, it's I I feel like a broken record, but the songs are just so fun. Like this is such a great album to listen to when you're like driving at night, like on your way somewhere, just like having a good time.
2: Yeah. This is, you know, these. this is one of the more clubbier songs. Uh, then The Turn, uh, the next song. This song's about the perseverance and survival of the neglected uh, and unheard. Uh, this is also probably the closest thing to a ballad on the record. I want to play a little taste of that before we move on. hey, 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 hey. hey.
0: I'm off in North Korea. Yeah, from a, a got to be more, it's to get
2: more. Just Not in my, my favorite yeah. to
3: more. It's Don't dislike
2: it more. Uh, But just everything else is so, like, bass-heavy, danceable This is, you know, even like $20 you could dance to This one, on the other hand, like I said, it's just It's not a love song, but if there was a ballad on the record, this would be it. All right, XR two.
1: Oh, I like this one. Do
2: you? Uh-huh. You know? Well, you want to know why? why? You like it because it's the most Diplo song on the <laughs> record. Peter, play ten seconds in.
0: Where were you in ninety two? 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 Ninety two, ninety 92.
1: So, so let me guess, it's about something awful.
2: <laughs> uh, I'm
1: like, why do I want to shake my ass to genocide? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah.
2: It's a nostalgic look back at what MIA and her friends were up to in the London rave scene oh, of '92. Thank God. When she was 17 or 18. Um, when 25 people died tragically from a Molly <laughs> no. poisoning. I added that last no. part. No, I added that last part because he set it up. So, this is that was Baltimore Club. That's yeah. that was 100% Baltimore Club. I can hear Spank Rock in it. I hear Diplo. I hear Jesse Titsworth, all the guys that I used to hang out with, uh, excluding Diplo. I've I, been in the same room together, but I had no idea how much he was going to blow up. I would have fucking. I want to do them a little bit closer. Uh, the title refers to the popular sports model of the mid to late 80s compact car, the Ford Fiesta. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She also rattles off a list of initials of pop culture icons, including MC5, SWV, TLC, REM, NYC, and MTV.
1: ALI. Uh,
2: So you like, you like this song. Oh
1: yeah. It makes me feel like I'm at like a Vegas pool party.
2: Yeah. It's dude, this is, you would, man, you would have fucking loved the Baltimore club scene. It was so great. It was just the best sonar. My buddy Evan that used to throw these huge parties, uh, biggest raves in the, in, in the East coast. He threw, uh, constantly. He's actually now, uh, during COVID, you know, people like doing different shit, just to kind of like, well, I don't know, I can't do that anymore. So what do I do? And in his free time, he started making pizzas, and now they're—he's opening up a restaurant. They're blowing up. He—he he FedExed me two overnight, two of the best pizzas I've ever had in Amazing. my life. It's called Underground Pizza Maryland on Instagram. Um, so I wanted to ask you this: uh, What initially drew you towards your career?
1: Uh, stand up. Yeah. Well i don't know i always liked getting attention and i always liked making people laugh and i was always kind of like seeking validation from strangers there it is and uh and i didn't realize it was even like a possibility um to do stand-up i thought you just like got lucky and i don't know it just worked out and so i was going to the laugh factory a bunch in high school using my sister's id to get in and i was there on like a new material night and someone took out their notes and I was like wait they're not just thinking of all this like they're not just telling stories that they're thinking of and so I was like okay well then that means that if I write something I can perform it and so then once I figured that out I was like this is what I'm gonna do like it all just kind of like clicked in that moment and that was it
2: so where was the first show
1: My first open mic was at the Laugh Factory.
2: That was the one you went to?
1: I had no idea that there were other places. I didn't even know that you could start other places. Like, I remember being like three months into stand-up, and someone was like, yeah, I started in Portland. And I'm like, they have comedy in Portland?
2: What? Portland?
1: I was very naive, but I'm glad that uh, after that, I started going to coffee shops and bars and wherever. But yeah, that was my first open mic.
2: With the old guy? With the old guy Herb um, or whatever his name is The guy, the guy who is would like Light you Or he would light you, you in be, Because you're not allowed To cuss at oh the, at the Laugh Factory open mic And the first time We, Gerard, Byron And Angelo We waited there all day The day week before We sign up You come back the next week yep. And then I go up And you're not allowed To cuss at all And I was like and the first thing I said Was like Oh fuck And he goes Thank you yeah. yeah. Alright Next comic And I was like That was it um, That's out of all The open mics That I've ever done and not just because I got kicked off the first time. Yeah. That's the shittiest one. Oh,
1: yeah. Because it's all, like, tourists.
2: I mean, there were people there for you?
1: It was tourists who were, like, trying to do an opa mic while they were in town so they could go back home and tell people <laughs> that they're a successful <laughs> oh, I they were American watching.
2: comedian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I'm so glad that you, that you realized you could bring notes because, I mean, if, if you never would have gone, who knows where you'd be.
1: Yeah, probably, like, in an alley. What do you
2: think you would have done if you didn't do stand-up?
1: I think I probably would have gone... I honestly have no idea I probably would have Picked up a trade Like hair Or makeup Or something But I don't think I could see that It probably would have been Short lived though I probably would have Gotten very over it And then Just worked Some random I really can't picture Anything else What I would have done This is what
2: you're Supposed to be doing it yeah. is, it is. But also when you saying hair and makeup, a a hundred percent millions of girls that have, have done my hair and makeup have kind of dressed like you, very yeah. they're cool. For sure. They drink. Uh huh. You know, or, or ex drinkers.
1: Yeah. I think I think like uh if I wasn't doing stand up at this point though, truck driving would you be know, so cool. I
2: mean, it would be awesome, but you had an ice road truck. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right, we're here at the hit paper planes uh do i need to play some of it why not I, you know you kind of have to all right peter play 56 all
1: When I was just listening to that, it makes me think if that song would be popular now, now that gun violence is so uh, prevalent. Ooh.
2: um, I actually think that we're going to mention something about that. Um, Well, first of all, uh, it was commentary. The cash register and the gunshots. Sound effects were commentary on American capitalism and mocking of anti-immigration stereotypes. So... It's not like she's just doing it for the hipness of the song. Yeah, she has a point to it. The other thing that I thought was really cool that Diplo got this main sample from the Clash's 1982 song "Straight to Hell," uh, and I listened to it. It's incredible. Peter, uh, play a little bit of the Clash song. <laughs> Uh, this is what I love so much about sampling in music. I love seeing where someone gets the idea and then, you know, changes it to 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 do this. Yeah. It's just like to, to, for Diplo to hear that and be like, oh, yeah, 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 that's, that's the fucking shit right there. That's the shit we need to use. But it also, once again, solidifies what I said earlier about MAA being so cool. And and the fact that they're sampling The Clash, and The Clash is like the coolest, yeah. and they're also the most political band there might have ever possibly been. Um, it just feels like a perfect marriage. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now on Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, thoughts on this tell me about like like take us back because this was the one this was
1: the one and you texted me before this saying like uh like I can't listen to this song anymore you know because it's it was so popular So popular but I think if I were to have heard this for the first time I would still love it I don't know there's something about it that's so good and the in the sound effects are so catchy and I don't know. I still love the song, but it it, it has been so overplayed that Over. it can be exhausting to yeah. listen to. And
2: that's. I think that's the thing that I when I listen to this record, I start. I listened to it a couple of times, and then I just started skipping it because I was like, "Yeah, it's just all the other shit is like new to me, and this one was just jammed down my throat to the point where." You know, you love it. So the first time you hear it, and then you're just like, oh, I never want to hear that song again. This yeah. is one of those songs. It was that popular. Um, so she said this was really a Baltimore, Brooklyn song due to her immersion in the city's street cultures. Uh, this is one of the most covered rap songs of all time. Whoa. Yeah, I didn't know that. I
1: didn't know that either.
2: Clearly, it reflects the ire she felt after being denied a visa to the USA for possibly having terrorist
1: ties. Yeah, there. Are, so the article that Lynn Hirschberg wrote about her, um, it's kind of up for debate if she was telling that story to kind of give herself this narrative of, you know, how America is racist and, you know, being from... A place like Sri Lanka, people just assume you're a terrorist or like her dad's ties or whatever. But I guess the heat was that she was claiming she was denied a visa because of terrorist ties when really no one you never find out why you're denied a visa. So it was like kind of controversial, but abolish ICE, I guess. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> yeah,
2: dude. All right. Um, yeah, I, I I like I said, this was um, this was that one song that it's like you can't not talk about this record without mentioning this one Also
1: the confusing thing is that this record is named after her mom but none of the songs are, about her are directly about yeah. her mom We heard
2: the other so the album before this was about was named after her dad
1: Oh okay. and I don't know got it This is
2: more about her dad that maybe the last record was about her mom maybe. and then the next one after that was named after her third cousin <laughs> And then the one after that was named after the guy that that makes the uh, mango pickle that she really likes. <laughs> uh, all right, so we were talking about the songs that that reminded me of you. Oh yeah. So this, the final song on the record, it, it was like the second I heard this moment I'm about to play, I was like, "This is Ali oh, Bukowski." I can't wait to hear. All right, here we go. Play the opening of "Come Around." Uh. She goes,
1: Hala. holla. That,
2: that room. I don't know why, I don't even know if I've ever heard you say holla, uh, but it just, it made me think of you. It's cause I, uh, maybe it was just, it's not like it's, it's not like it's like holla. It's just like holla. I could just, it's there's not really like energy to it. It just kind of reminded me of you. Yeah. Uh, don't take it as please don't take it as I like won't. an insult. It's just, but I heard this song and I was like, I have a feeling Allie loves MIA and this song. Am I right or am I wrong?
1: You're right. I mean, you brought me on for the right album. Yeah. 100%. Um,
2: So this is the cool story about this song. Even though she had originally planned on doing the record primarily with Timbaland, her visa issues prevented her from uh, coming into the country, which made her then have to go around the world to uh, work with other producers. So if her visa doesn't get denied, the entire record sounds like this song. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That, that's that's what would have happened. It was like almost a godsend blessing. Like We might not be talking about this record on the list if she doesn't get denied that visa because the whole thing was she was going to work the entire record with Timbaland. Uh, but almost, also
1: I do have a conspiracy about that. Hit me. I was watching an interview where she was talking about not wanting to be the girl who's in a Timbaland song being talking about like hooking up with guys and all that stuff. So part of me almost thinks that... She did that on her own being like, "Hey Timbaland, sorry, but I can't make it to the US. Visa got denied." So that way she wouldn't be forced into making this like, you know, sexualized female Poppy like
2: Nelly, Nelly yeah. Furtado. Yeah. Because now, remember Nelly Furtado? I'm like a bird, turn off the lights. And Pro- then promiscuous girl. Then promiscuous girl's like, yeah, I'm gonna fuck you, yeah. fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. Look at my butt, look at my butt, butt. I'm a promiscuous girl. I do like that song. It's a good song. I also like Maneater a lot, too. Maneater, get your light. Thank you, say, like hug, uh, 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 get your work. A uh, buffalo. Oh, it's on and on? I thought it was buffalo. I don't buffalo. know. I just
3: had
2: a huh. I always sang it. Buffalo. Get your work on, get your sleep on, get your work on, Buffalo. Uh, Also, the ending part with the rap by Timberland. um, Oh,
1: I don't care for it.
2: Yeah, and I didn't like that he kept saying Timberland ain't dead because I think he was trying to alert the world that his career isn't dead because he did take some time off because he was like the hot dude for a while. I do want to play this part. So it's another double dip, uh, Peter. Uh, This is my favorite line, maybe not just from the song, but maybe from the entire record. Uh, play 49 seconds.
0: spades ride in vain blow up things to save
1: our name I love that
2: so fucking much I love you MIA if you're listening to the podcast cuz I know you are
1: She's checking in Oh
2: god she's had a kid Well I don't I mean I
1: think like, like 3 years ago uh, 4 years ago I
2: mean, I mean her and Nora Jones I'm so attracted to I love Nora Jones Nora, love Nora If Jones. you're listening to this Nora I just want you to know I am Single I'm not sexually active uh, I actually turned down A booty call Last night Whoa Cause I wanted to Sit on my couch And eat ice cream Don't tell the girl that I told her I was busy But that's the guys You I was were true. busy
1: I was busy Eating ice cream Doing nothing And watching yeah.
2: cops Cause I found Pluto TV you oh, know, amazing. About, oh I've God, heard about it There's a whole channel Of all cops and I love that show uh, You're not supposed to like cops anymore But I don't give a fuck I love it um, So I wanted to ask you this Cause being she says this in the song When has someone stepped on your dick? Metaphorically of course
1: Stepped on your dick? Cause now people are saying uh, Step on my neck Like like As like a cool thing Like if you see like a hot guy or a hot girl You're like Step on my neck It's like a compliment Really? So step on my dick like a bad thing <laughs> like I'm not I'm not sure what the
2: so basically you know it's kind of Timbaland like taking over and like in a sense being like hey I know you were supposed to work with me but you couldn't because of the visa issues but I'm gonna hijack this record and I'm going to completely just make this about me so when has somebody stepped on your metaphorical dick
1: I don't know. I don't know. That's hard to say.
2: It's a good question though.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I feel we, oh
2: We have the hard hitting questions on the 500. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> when you when you get, It's like I thought we were just talking about Jackson Brown. Yeah. No, tell me about
1: when you got molested. I th- I feel like uh when I was doing this one show and I felt like I wasn't getting the kind of respect or credit uh for my involvement and so I think that was a time where I felt like my dick was being stepped on and I had to kind of just uh just distance myself and be like you know what I'm gonna do my own thing and no hard feelings but like I don't want to just be like a side piece of you know what we're creating yeah you know
2: what was the thing do you mind me asking uh
1: yeah I used to run a show uh when I first started and I had a friend running it with me and I don't know. I just i i felt like uh, i felt like my efforts weren't being noticed. Yeah. So that was kind of it.
2: No, that's that's definitely Dick stepping.
1: Yeah. <sighs> for sure.
2: Well, Look who's fucking doing all the yeah. shows now. Is that person still doing it? No. Ha <laughs> ha! You're stepping on their dick.
1: It's always people. It's always people who uh, are insecure or kind of have this. Foresight that things aren't going to work out and that's why they want to take over and not give you the credit. 100%.
2: Uh, All right, you want to do some facts and get out of here? Sure. MIA's mother, Kala Pragazam, who this album is named after, spent 30 years hand-sewing the medals given out by Buckingham Palace. Earlier this year, MIA dedicated the MBE uh, for service in music. She had pinned on her by Prince William to her mother. It was one her mother had made. Whoa! Wow, what is something about your family of which you are most proud?
1: Really, the tough question. Yeah, dude.
2: Hard hitting, bro.
1: Um, I don't know. I feel like uh, the past two years we've all celebrated holidays together, and that's like I don't know. I feel like that's something like special because you know, since I was five or six, they've been divorced, and so it's always like two Christmases, yeah, two everything, and so it's nice that we're all able to like come together now, and just it. Also, it's just time efficient.
2: Oh yeah Yeah Wait so wait, Was it Was it your dad's Promiscuity That kind of Broke it up No
1: I think It Well No I think uh, I feel like it was Financial
2: Yeah that was My my parents Would have gotten Divorced uh, Over money I don't know why They stayed together But Yeah dude Money is always Like the root Of so much Like That just Because that's That create Because once you don't Have money Then you notice Everything else Yeah Do you know what I yeah. mean Yeah It puts
1: a real magnifying glass on the other problems.
2: Yeah. So what, you guys are doing holidays together this year? Yeah.
1: And I think I'm just, like, proud of, you know, the fact that I have, like, very supportive parents and, like, my family's pretty close. Not in, like, an annoying way where we do everything together, but, like, we do make the time to be with each other. And my parents are both, like, you know, they never went to college. They both are longshoremen and they've been able to, like... Really? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Like, like, like on the docks. Like on the docks. Yeah. Really? Yeah,
1: both of them are longshoremen. I feel
2: like I've seen pictures of your family and neither of them look like no. Mark Wahlberg in the perfect storm. <laughs> yeah. Like they all look like normal, like Orange County people.
1: Totally. So I don't know. I'm grateful for my upbringing where I had parents who just like worked these union jobs and raised us to be like somewhat normal.
2: That's insane, dude. Cause you have such like, you have, I've seen like your sisters. Everybody's beautiful. Yeah. I've seen you dressed up like yeah. in normal clothes that aren't neon colored. And <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh my God. It's like she's like a legit normal. She's not Karen O from the yeah, yeah, yeahs all the time. <laughs> yeah. Like she's that's awesome, man. Um, dude, I knew that's why we connect. My dad was a he wasn't a longshoreman, but he was an orchid man. Wow. So, yeah. So, you know, we'd have a lot of money, but we never had insects in our house. No. No fucking, no way. During the Los Angeles Dodgers' three-week attempt to win the 2008 National League West title, they used Paper Planes as their rally song.
1: That makes sense.
2: I feel like everybody did at the time. You go to any sporting event and people were playing that song, uh, even at the Big Wangs. In 2009, at the 51st Grammy Awards, right before a rap rock performance by Jay-Z, Lil Wayne, Kanye West, and T.I., M.I.A. came out and stole the show while singing the hook from Paper Planes, which is sampled for their song Swagga Like Us. Cool thing is you could see she was visibly nine months pregnant. Yes, I and remember that. one day past due to have her first child. Uh, that is... So fucking bad. That's, that's so what cool. That's what I'm talking about, about MIA, why she's cool. Cause that's like, and, and that's, that's why it's perfect for you to do this. Cause it's like, she's up there with like the most boys of the boys club in rap. And she's still fucking just popping out and fucking ripping it. Um, What's the hardest gig you've ever played?
1: Honestly, it's like the it's like the insignificant ones are the hardest for me. Not I don't want to say insignificant, but it's like you know, it's like the the Holocaust Memorial shows that can be the most difficult yeah. because it's just not the right environment for stand up, but. I think that those are also the most helpful because it's like if you can make something work there, there then like, you know, you can make it work in a theater or an yeah. arena or something like that, you know, yeah. where it just sets you up for uh, success when you need to be ready for that.
2: Yeah, because this is like comedy. This is comedy boot camp right now. Yeah. Because we're not playing in clubs. We're playing in the most random places by creeks, Holocaust museums, <laughs> yeah. fucking museum steps. Uh, so. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. What's the what's the what was the best show you've ever done?
1: Oh my god, uh, doing my first arena with Joe Rogan. Yeah, the coolest experience of my life. Because it's like when I was a kid, I would go to concerts all the time and go to these huge arenas and watch the artists perform. And every time I would leave a concert, I would feel so depressed because I was like, I want to be able to perform. Like I want to be able to like command people's attention and like. Have people engaged and entertained, and I would always leave with this empty feeling. And so, to be performing in a space that I always like looked up to was so surreal and the best.
2: Yeah, but I heard you bombed, though. No, I'm kidding. I heard you crush, crush city. All right. Uh, When making the video for Paper Planes, Mia locked herself in her apartment for two hours after her manager forbid her from wearing a Metallica T-shirt. She finally got her way. Uh, I don't really remember. That's the, I don't really remember the music video. Yeah, me um, either. I don't know why Metallica was such a you know a sticking point. Yeah. yeah, I just
1: considered the Hangover movie being one long music video for, <laughs> for paper, paper Planes.
2: planes. Uh, all right, have you ever had to deal with censorship or having your art fucked with?
1: No, but I think like self censorship. After, you know, sometimes things get taken out of context or people try and, like, find the worst in a joke and, you know, spin it into a negative light. It's like, okay, well, there's this fine line between is this funny enough to say it or am I maybe trying to provoke something or yeah. um, be a little bit too, like, uh, controversial or maybe a half-baked idea that doesn't really need to be said or... um on my Instagram story or something. So I think like, I don't think anyone has necessarily censored me, but I think, you know, after, you know, certain things that I've said and getting feedback, uh, realizing maybe I should just take a little bit more precaution and consider what I'm saying,
2: especially in this day and age for sure. All right. Last one, uh, the bright and colorful and garnished cover of this album was inspired by African art and featured an image of MIA surrounded by the repeated slogan, Fight on, fight on, fight on. What has been the defining struggle in your life?
1: Comedy-related or no? Could be
2: about it, just life.
1: Um, I think sense, I think especially during, like kind of what I mentioned earlier, like sense of purpose and uh, who I am at my core is kind of an ongoing thing. And especially like uh, without comedy when it was, you know, just not happening. Just that constant struggle of like, Uh, what are my, like, core beliefs? I think that that's something that I always kind of deal with because I'm very influenced by people around me, so it's something to be aware of. Like, am I influenced by people around me in a good way? Like, is it positive to my life? Like, am I being inspired and uh, influenced in a way that helps me grow or am I being influenced in a way where I want to have a certain feeling to feel a part of or feel... Belonging, even if it's not necessarily the place that I would want to belong. Yeah. I think that's like an ongoing thing, but something that I'm getting better at.
2: Just lean into who you are. Yeah. You're, you're, you're just great. Like you're, you're great. Everything you're doing is great. Your style, you. your comedy, you as a human being is just great. So just lean the fuck in to whatever Allie is. Yes. And, and all the other people, to let them do their shit. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But you're, you're in a really good place. This was fantastic, Allie. Um, once again, sorry about the bullshit at the beginning. All good. I don't know if everybody knows this, but we spent like literally 45 minutes trying to get this set up because Allie was the first person we've had back in the studio, aka my apartment, in months. I actually cleaned the place for you. Thank a you. A little bit. Not like, the bathroom is immaculate.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, anything you want to promote?
1: Um, I have a podcast called Resting Bitch um, and... Uh yeah, if you want to see me perform, you can go to AliMakovsky or follow me on Instagram at not Ali Mac.
2: Yeah, and Booker. We both have the same agent. Sylvia Sylvia Lund. Oh, I love yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I was talking about you yesterday and he was like, Oh I rep Allie too. Oh yeah, because
1: like, the DC shows got cancelled. Yeah, dude. Fucking, fucking COVID
2: <laughs> Uh, this was great. Thank you. Thank you, Don. What did I tell you? What did I tell you? The one and only Allie Makovsky. Guys, check out her podcast, Resting Bitch with Allie Makovsky. Her Instagram, at Mac. Her Twitter, Mac. And her website for all things Allie, AllieMakovsky.com. Guess what, guys? For new music this week, we are highlighting Chris Sullivan again. Chris was on the podcast back in June from Mule Variations. He's a good buddy of mine. I really hit it off with this guy. I really like him, and his music is incredible. He's making music under the title Joseph the Spouse. We talked about it in the episode, and he's got a new album entitled Six Feet from Under. It's incredible, and it was co-written by another guest of ours, Taylor Goldsmith of the band Dawes. You're listening to Raising the Bar. You hear that? Mm, sounds good And that's another great track from that record Six Feet From Under Which you can get everywhere guys Get it on Spotify, get it on Apple Music Get it on wherever you get your music Follow Chris's band on Instagram At Joseph the Spouse We've got the links on our website And if you're in a band And you want your music featured on the 500 Send us your song to 500podcasts at gmail.com Put the album and artist that influenced you In the third line. Guess what guys Next week is our first Beatles record, their final studio record, "Let It Be." Even though they released Abbey Road after, well, they recorded Abbey Road. Uh, we'll find out next week. All I know is it's dope. It opens with two of us. I'm so excited. Listen to the album. You got homework. Stay fleecy. Happy Thanksgiving. Do Oh do. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians.